It's wonderful to be here, and it's great to see each and every one of you here tonight. We have a, a good crowd. We've got a number of visitors, and we're so glad that you've come to be with us. And uh, It is our hope and our desire, our prayer, that you're built up by being here, that we all learn together as we study the Scriptures. Uh, wonderful singing tonight. We could have kept singing for quite a while. I probably wouldn't have had a voice, but I uh, was really enjoying that and, and appreciate your participation in singing out and sing praises to our God, and ultimately we hope that he's been pleased by that and glorified. Um, tonight we're going to talk about the Great Commission, and you go, hey, Nathan talked about that last Sunday, and, and I recognize that. We're, we're going to be uh, actually focusing on a different aspect of the Great Commission, as we're not looking at necessarily our responsibility to carry the Great Commission, but we're going to break down the Great Commission tonight. And because I think the Great Commission is so fundamental, and when you look at Christianity, the truths that are in the Great Commission are often ignored. And as you see on the board, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the Great Commission. And before we really dive into the Scriptures, I just want to ask, where do we get that word commission? Because uh, that's not actually a biblical term. That word is actually used, I believe, and it's in Acts 26. Uh, when it talks about someone being commissioned to do something. And, and that is the way this word is used. However, we get that term commission because of what we see when Jesus gives the Great Commission. So let's just start out by defining a commission. A commission is an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or group of people. We might call that a charge, that someone's been charged with responsibility. Um, maybe we could say it was their marching orders. It's when someone with authority charges someone that's under them to carry about some business or responsibility. And that's certainly what the Great Commission is. It is a charge given to the apostles. As we notice in Matthew chapter 28 and 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples, obviously Judas by transgression is fallen at this time, the eleven disciples, that is the apostles, went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came and spoke to them. That's who was commissioned that day. These 11 disciples were commissioned with responsibility to go out and to preach the gospel. Now, why is it called the Great Commission? And I know we went through some of this, but I want to revisit some of this. Why is it called the Great Commission? And we call it the Great Commission because Jesus gave other commissions to his disciples during his ministry. One of those is recorded in Matthew chapter 10, 5 and 6, where you remember Jesus sent out the 12 and he sent them out only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And notice that he limited them in the scope of their commission. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not, there's the limitation, go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather, or go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we know that the Gentiles and the Samaritans both had the gospel preached to them, but it was much later. It was after Jesus' resurrection. And we actually don't see the Samaritans receiving the gospel until Acts chapter 8. And then the Gentiles are finally, uh, that door is open to them in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family and friends. Uh, you might also, for your own personal study, look at Luke 9, 1 through 6, where this same thing is recorded. And also in Luke chapter 10, 1 through 16, where Jesus sent out the 70. And their commission was also limited. They were not allowed to go to anyone except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, notice in the Great Commission, the commission is different in its scope. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not just the nation of Israel, but to every nation in all the world, 
all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Obviously, that scope is not limited. It is great in scope. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. I know we're flying, but we're just getting some basics established. That's the Great Commission. He charged them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and don't be limited. Every person. Go preach the gospel to every person. Okay, so let's slow down for a moment because I'm running out of air. We're going to read Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24. Not the whole chapter, just the commission. And I want to look at those side by side before we move forward so that we can get the whole of these three gospel accounts. And then we'll talk about that more in detail in a moment. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus charged them, commissioned them. Why? Because he had authority to do so, which we talked about Sunday evening, if you remember. Here's the commission, the charge that he gave them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're going to read all three of these, then we're going to slow down and talk about them. Mark 16 and 15, a similar account. Mark 16, 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now finally, Luke. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46 then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So let's take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and let's summarize those. And before we do that, I want you to notice that there are differences in these accounts. And some look at that and they say, Well, yeah, that's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. you got three guys, and they all have different details. Let's talk about what a contradiction is and what a contradiction is not. A contradiction is when two or more things cannot be true at the same time. That's certainly not what we have here. This is not a contradiction. And oftentimes, when you actually have three witnesses give details about the same account, and everything is exactly perfect, you know what we call that? Collusion. They've colluded, they've, they've conspired, they've, they've gotten together and they've decided to fabricate a story. But see, the details are different, but they don't contradict one another. They actually complement one another. And then when we see the Great Commission applied in the book of Acts, we see every detail of all three of these coming together into one. So notice again Matthew's account. He says to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So in Matthew, he doesn't mention the gospel. He doesn't mention what to teach. He doesn't say anything about belief or repentance. But that's what we have in Matthew. In Mark, we have preached the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We're going to talk about salvation tonight again. In Luke chapter 24, what we saw is he said, Repentance and remission of sins will be preached to all nations in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, so what I want to do is condense these facts into one paragraph. Just one paragraph. And this is my summarization of these things. So um, if, if you think it's not a good summarization, that's fine. You can talk to me later. I think this is a fair summary of these three accounts. Go therefore and preach the gospel, repentance and remission of sins, in his name, or in the name of Jesus Christ, to every creature in all nations. 
He who believes and is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Make them disciples by teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So that's a summary of all these things. What we're going to do is talk about each one of these things in detail. Not every word, but, but the different concepts of the Great Commission. And let's start where we need to begin, and that is what is the gospel? Because that was, the, that was the, the, the completeness of the commission. It all depended upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was what they were to take out there, what they were to preach, what they were to tell people about. But you know that word gospel is used in so many generic ways. Sometimes we lose the meaning of the word gospel because of the way we use it. So someone might say, we well, you know that guy thinks that everything he says is gospel. You've heard that, right? And what we mean by that is he thinks that everything that he says is infallibly true. Now, the gospel is infallibly true, but that's not what the word itself means or what it's indicating when Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every creature. Obviously, he was telling them, go tell the truth, but there was something that he had in mind that they would specifically go about and teach and preach. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you've received, and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So I want to highlight some things on the screen, because notice, as Paul begins to identify what the gospel is, he makes it very plain. It's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But notice, it's not just Jesus' death. It's Jesus dying for our sins. Jesus died for our sins, and he was buried, and he was resurrected. That is what we might call the foundation, or the core, or the heart of the gospel. And Paul said, that's what I've preached to you. So very simply put, this is the gospel, that Jesus was crucified to pay for the sins of man, to redeem us, to justify us, to reconcile us to God. Jesus died, was buried, but rose again. That's the, that's the message they preached. Now, was that the whole message they preached? Did they just go tell people, hey, Jesus died for your sins, he was buried and resurrected, and leave? No, there's much more to it, and we're going to talk about that in detail as well. But this is the heart or the core of the gospel that Paul said he delivered to them and preached to them. And I want you to notice, going back to 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 1 through 4, notice that this gospel must be preached. And it must also be received. Just because Jesus died to pay for all the sins of man doesn't mean that all men are saved. It doesn't mean that all men have salvation. It doesn't mean all men have their sins washed away. It must be preached and it must be received. Do you see that? Look at verse 2 again. By which also you are saved if you hold fast or hold steady or keep a hold of the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. See, if someone doesn't keep the facts of the gospel, if they don't live according to the gospel, if they don't receive the gospel and hold it fast, their faith is vain. And they will not be saved by it if they don't hold on to it. Notice Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 where Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. There are some that teach that you can be saved apart from the preaching of the gospel of Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches. The commission was about salvation. It was about saving men, and it must be preached. It must be heard. It must be believed. It must be obeyed. 
We see that in Romans chapter 10. We're not going to turn over there tonight, but we see that, that Paul reasons with that, that how are they going to call on him and whom they've not believed, and how shall they believe unless they hear, and how shall they hear without a preacher? We hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, we receive that gospel. And he said, that is God's power to save. And that's the purpose of the commission. Because people need saving. So, Jesus introduced two ideas in Mark 16. Where he said, he that believeth and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Do you believe that every person who does not obey the gospel of Christ, who does not receive the gospel of Christ, will be condemned. That's what Jesus said. In fact, right now, we've got a lot of people in the world saying, well, there's not going to be an eternal punishment. That's, that's, not, that's not a thing. We're just, we're just going to cease to exist. We're just all going to be annihilated when eternity comes. And we've got to talk about that. Firstly, what does the Bible mean when it uses the word saved? Secondly, what are we saved from? And I, I want you to know that's an extremely important question to ask the question, what are we saved from? Because being saved implies that we're saved from something. And finally, what is this condemnation that Jesus meant? What did he mean when he say condemned? So firstly, what does salvation mean? And we're going to do a little bit of repeat from a couple of nights ago. The word that's translated saved in Mark 16 and 16 means to save, to keep safe, and sound to rescue from danger or destruction. I told you the other night, I really like the word rescue because it really helps us to understand what the idea of salvation. It doesn't just mean someone assisted us or someone helped us to accomplish something. It literally means that we were rescued from something. And notice again, Romans chapter 5 and 6, where he says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's not that we're pushing someone that's good over the finish line to being better. And I'll tell you, that's a, that was a problem for me growing up, sitting in a church pew, thinking that I was really good, and when I was baptized, God just made me better. And that's not what happens when we're saved. When we're saved, we are rescued because we are powerless, we are helpless, we are hopeless, and we need to be rescued by God. And he rescues us from something. What does he rescue us from? Matthew 1, 21 before Jesus was born, the angel told Joseph, she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. This is what we're saved from. You know, we talk about salvation in such a generic way sometimes. We, we don't even talk about it in, in a way that we can, we can make it quantified. We're saved from sin, but we're not just saved from sin. Not just saved from sin. Notice Romans 5 and 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Not only are we saved from sin, we're saved from the wrath that is a result of our sin. God rescues us by justifying us through the blood of Jesus, saving us from sin and saving us from wrath. Notice John 3, 36, where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He said, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Listen, but the wrath of God abides on him. Does that sound like Mark 16? It does to me. He who does not believe will be 
condemned. That's what Jesus said. If you don't believe that I am the Son of God, you will not have everlasting life. In fact, the wrath of God abides on you. That's the words of Jesus. John 8, 24, Jesus also said this, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, I am the Christ, you will die in your sins. What does he mean, die in your sins? He means die in an unforgiven, in a condemned state. You will be condemned unless you believe. Notice 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of to come. Now here's a misunderstanding that people have sometimes. They think that Jesus came to die for our sins to save us from the consequences of sin in this life. Uh, it's often referred to as time salvation, that we're being rescued from the consequences of sin in this life. You know how you could be rescued from the consequences of sin in this life? Just don't sin. Just stop sinning. That doesn't mean every consequence will go away, but it'll certainly uh, help future consequences from sin. To not, that's not what this is about. This is not the, about the wrath of God here. This is about the wrath of God which is to come. The wrath of God that Jesus introduced us to. The condemnation that Jesus was speaking about. Matthew 25 and verse 41. Then he will say, also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, listen, you cursed. You cursed. Who's he talking to? Those who reject Jesus, you cursed, depart from me into the everlasting fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Prepared for the devil and his angels. How would you like to spend all eternity with the devil and his angels, those that we call demons, in everlasting fire? How would you like to be cursed by God? This is why they were spreading the gospel. Because without the gospel, this is the destination of people. Without being rescued from sin, this is where we're headed. Luke 12 and verse 5. Jesus said, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Why would Jesus say, God can cast you into hell, you should be afraid of that, if there is no hell? That makes no sense. And it really would mean Jesus was being deceptive. And people have even taken that position. Well, Jesus was just using hell to scare us into being good. That is ridiculous. Jesus is the truth. And he delivered the truth. And he spoke, as we noticed, because God was telling him what to say. The Father was telling him what to say. Luke chapter 16, verse 23 it says, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And I recognize most of the students of Scripture here tonight are thinking right now, Ian, that is not hell, that is after death. Don't miss the point. Uh, we, that's a whole different subject that we could talk about. But don't miss the point. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about fiery torment and punishment for the wicked. And what does he describe here? He describes a man who is in so much torment and so much pain that he is begging for the amount of water that could be carried on the tip of a finger. You've got to be in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort to be begging for such a small amount of relief. 
This man is in torment. And you know what? He deserves to be there. He deserves to be there. Notice how Abraham responds. He says, Son, remember that thou or you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here pass to us. What is this great, great gulf representing here? What is he talking about? He's saying this, your destiny's fixed. You're not getting out of this situation. You are where you are because of the way you lived your life. And if you remember the way you lived your life, you'll know exactly why you're where you're at and why Lazarus is where he is. And you're not getting out of it. Even if we wanted to come, you're not getting over here. We're not getting over there. We're where we're at. And that's not changing. Once you die, it's over. It's over. Your opportunity to repent is gone. That's why Jesus warned them. He said, you will die in your sins. There's not hope after that. You've got hope now. You've got opportunity now. But once we die... It's either salvation or it's condemnation. That's why Paul said that they taught the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Listen to verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What was it that drove Paul to go into these cities and allow these people to stone him and beat him. His love for them. I know God's terror, he says. I know the terror of the Lord. I know that judgment's coming, and I love people so much that I'm going to tell them, you will be lost without Jesus, and make no bones about it. Without Jesus, you will go to hell. That's what the Great Commission is about. It's not just about telling them to go out and tell people there's good news. It's also telling them, without Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins. That's the purpose of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. Because God rescues us from our sin, He rescues us from Satan, and God rescues us from Himself. You say, whoa, whoa now. That's right, God rescues us from Himself, from His wrath. Because he's perfectly just, and in his perfect justice, he will punish every single sin. And unless our sins are punished in Jesus Christ, and we receive that salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's wrath will be poured out on us. So the first time that this commission was applied is in Acts chapter 2 where Peter looks out to a large crowd of people, thousands of people. Thousands of people are gathered there that day, and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or approved by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. What's he preaching? The gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go preach the gospel. What's he doing? Preaching the gospel. So he's preaching the gospel to these people. He gives them evidence about Jesus being the Messiah. Evidence from the prophecies saying that Jesus would rise again. Evidence from the prophecies that Jesus would be king and he would sit on the right hand of God and he would rule as king and 
he concludes his sermon by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is ruler on high. He is Savior and Lord. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What's that mean? They believed him. They were convicted by this preaching. And they said unto him, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know what they're saying? How do we escape condemnation? How do we escape wrath? Because we know who God is. We know we're guilty. That's what they're asking. What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So going back to our summary from earlier, notice when we put Acts chapter 2 right next to the summary of these three accounts of the Great Commission that they line up perfectly. Because Peter went and preached exactly what Jesus told him to preach when he opened the door of the kingdom to the Jews on that day. And that's the same message that you'll see that they preached all throughout the book of Acts. They didn't preach a different message. They didn't preach a different message of salvation to the Gentile. They preached the exact same gospel to every creature in all the world, in all nations. The same message. And so my question is, why are we changing the message? Why is the world changing the Great Commission? Why is the world changing what Jesus told these men to go and preach? Because Peter was emphatic. Here's what you should do to escape, the, uh, to escape God's wrath. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, we all agree about the repent one, right? We all agree about repentance. And we're not going to take time to really talk about repentance, but repentance means you must change. You must change your way of thinking. You must change your life. You must surrender your life to God. That's what repentance is. But it's baptism that is often thrown out when we talk about the Great Commission. And some would say, well, no, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. And I don't want to make any assertions. I don't want to tell you my opinions on the matter. I want to go straight to the Scriptures, examine the Scriptures, and I hope that we'll all fairly examine the Scriptures tonight as we talk about baptism's role in the Great Commission. What is baptism's role in the Great Commission? Well, Peter said it was for the remission of sins. What is remission? Remission means the release from bondage or imprisonment, a rescue, forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed. We talked about the word justification the other night, justify, same concept, remission of the penalty. What is baptism for? Peter said it is for the remission of sins. You know what people said? No, he's saying that it's because they already had remission. They need the gospel so they can be saved, not because they're saved. They said, what shall we do? He didn't say, don't worry, you're already saved, and now that you're saved, do this. He said, if you want to be saved and have the remission of sins, here's what you need to do. Why? Because salvation is from sin. They need to be saved from sin. They need their sin taken care of. That's how we're rescued. Acts twenty two sixteen. the Apostle Paul was preached this exact same message. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and do what? Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What was Paul told to do to be saved? Be baptized and wash away your sins. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 the other night, where the Bible says baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponding to Noah and his eight family being saved by water, the eight people in his family being saved by water, I'll clarify that, 
that corresponds to the way that we're now baptized and saved. Notice, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says it this way, baptism saves you. How? It washes away sin. You say, it doesn't say he washes away sin. No, he says it, it's an appeal to God for what? A good conscience. It removes sin from our conscience, from our inner man. It removes guilt and shame and all the things that come along with sin. It saves us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Paul is here talking to people who were saved. They were saved. You know what he reminds them about? When they were saved. He says, or do you not know? That as many of us as were baptized into, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I want to see some connections here. What's the subject? Baptism. That's obvious, right? It's baptism. And what did he say about baptism? It's into Christ. It's into Christ's death. It's into his burial. And it's also into his resurrection. Do you see the picture of the gospel here? We're baptized into Jesus Christ. Well, what does he mean by that? Into his death, into his burial, and risen to walk. In what? Newness of life. What's newness of life? The new birth. Being born again. You see, the gospel of Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why it refers to it in Scripture as obeying the gospel. We obey the gospel. We obey a form of the gospel. Notice later in this chapter in Romans 6, where we just talked about baptism being into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Paul then says this, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What was the doctrine that was delivered? Do you think Paul delivered to Rome a different doctrine than he delivered at Corinth? What did he say to Corinth? He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which you have received, and where do you stand? The gospel that I delivered to you. What did he deliver? The same thing. And what did he say to them in Romans 6? You've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What is the form of doctrine? It's baptism. And baptism is when we are set free from sin. You say, I don't know about that. Well, we're going to back up because he's already connected all these dots earlier in the chapter. Notice verse uh, 5 through 7. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now listen to verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. What did he just say? You've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, and God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, now you're free. When will we free? For he that has died has been freed. From sin. When? When we're buried with Christ into his death and risen to walk in newness of life. Friends, I didn't say that. The Bible says that. The Bible teaches that. How can we say that baptism has nothing to do with salvation? Salvation is from sin. And what is the purpose of baptism? It washes away sin, what we're saved from. It remits sin, what we're saved from. 
The body of sin, what we're saved from, is done away or abolished or destroyed. We're freed from sin, what we're saved from. It saves us. The Bible's simple. It's not complicated. It's very simple. We, by faith, surrender to God. We go into the waters of baptism, and God performs an operation, a saving operation, and all we're doing is surrendering to Him in faith. It's not a work. It's a working of God. Who authorized this? Jesus Christ authorized this. That's why he said in the Great Commission, go preach the gospel and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Why would we change that? Why would we complicate that? When you say baptism doesn't save, I'll tell you what you're doing with the Great Commission. You're saying what Jesus should have said is he who believes and is not baptized will be saved. You know who the first person or the first being was to ever stick the word not into the words of God? It was in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan said, you will not surely die. And how did that work out? Friends, if this challenges what you believe tonight, I want to impress upon you the necessity of trusting in the word of God and not in men. I hope you go and I hope you study this out for yourself. I hope you're testing everything I say tonight because it's not what about I believe or what Brother Van Miller believes or what Brent Richburg believes or what anybody other person believes. It's about what Jesus taught because he is the author of eternal salvation to all them that believe. You say, well, he didn't say whoever doesn't bab- whoever's not baptized will be condemned. He doesn't have to. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he have to say that? You say, well, well I, I'm not, I don't follow you. Well, think about this. Acts 2.41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. What's that mean? Those who believed the gospel were baptized. So why would Jesus have to say, he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned? Because it's obvious if you're not baptized that you don't believe. If you believe the gospel message, you will be baptized. He, he didn't have to say, he who does not believe... Uh, who is not baptized will be condemned. That wouldn't make any sense. He wouldn't have to say that. Because if you believe, you'll be baptized. We see this again in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16. For they've not all what? Obeyed the gospel. We just talked about that. They've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, who has believed? Why didn't they obey? Because they didn't believe. It's very simple. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and constricted is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Friends, there's just two destinations. Just two. There's eternal life. There's salvation. And there's condemnation or eternal damnation. And you're not here. You're not here. You're either here or here. And that's it. And people reject the gospel. They reject it. They come up with all kinds of philosophical arguments to reject the words of Jesus. You know where the thief on the cross is going to be? Right here. And I want you to know something. You can't be saved like the thief on the cross. 
That's what I hear all the time. Ian, you don't have to be baptized because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Do you think the thief on the cross ever heard the Great Commission? I know he didn't. Because he was dead. He was dead when Jesus gave the Great Commission. He was not bound to keep the Great Commission. He was not bound to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. Now, whether or not he was baptized with the, John, with the baptism of John is another thing. And the Bible never says that he wasn't. But that's beside the point. We are bound by the Great Commission. We're not going to be saved like the thief. We've got to obey the words of Jesus. Jesus, when he was on the earth, had the power to forgive sins. And he forgave that man that day. And that's between him and Jesus. But Jesus very plainly told us what we need to do. And that's why Paul risked his life. That's why Peter risked his life. That's why Andrew risked his life. Because they knew that if people were not baptized into Jesus Christ, believing in that gospel and repenting of their sins, they would be lost in eternity forever. And I want to ask you tonight, where are you up here? What road are you on? Because Jesus made it very simple. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you're on the road to eternal damnation. You need to change your path. You need to make a turn. You need to come to Jesus. Surrender to God. You know what would be sad? If you were right there, teetering on that decision, and never made that decision. Pricked in your heart, knowing what you should do, but just almost persuaded, but just not quite. What a sad thing that would be. And I want you to think about that as we stand and we sing this song. As we sing this song, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus, come forward, have a seat, let us help you. All things are prepared. We've got a change of clothes back here. We've got water prepared. You can be buried with Jesus tonight. Your sins washed away, your old man crucified, and arise to walk in newness of life on the path to eternal life. Don't be almost persuaded. Get persuaded now. Come have a seat as we stand and we sing.